chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, and follow along with me because we're going to read some resurrection stories, all right? And so it's, it seems so important for you to understand why the resurrection is so significant. It's more than just a historical or philosophical idea. It is, in fact, incredibly powerful and extraordinarily personal to each one of us. It's not a momentary glimpse into the past, it's, but it's a continual presence in our lives into our future. It's a story so astonishing that it transforms the way we see the world, the way we view everything around us. The resurrection challenges us and changes us with a miraculous reality. Everybody say reality. There's a reality that comes alive with the resurrection that's different. It's reorienting. It's a truth that destroys sin, that conquers death and overcomes the grave. It is something so profound. Our belief in the resurrection punctuates what Christ did when he died on the cross. He took the sins of the whole world and our sins, each of our sins on himself, and restored a broken relationship between ourselves and God. But it's so much more than that even, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ offers hope. It offers hope to our lives. It offers meaning, perspective. It offers possibility for our lives. It's the defining miracle of our faith. It is unique among world religions this idea of resurrection, Christian resurrection of Jesus. And the amazing thing is it spreads, it travels, the hope, it gets inside of people and becomes contagious. That's what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna look at the story. But many people, you know, they wanna read the Bible and they wanna choose what they like or what they dislike about what the Bible says. But the very idea of resurrection pushes back on that notion, this idea. Here's what the brilliant author and apologist Tim Keller said about it. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? <laughs> There's no reason to think about it, no reason to worry about it. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's writing to the church in Corinth. It's one of the earliest accounts of the resurrection story. It says in verse 3, I think it's in your message notes, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Paul saw Jesus on the road, a lonely road to Damascus, and his life was changed. Now, here's what I want you to get about this idea we just read about. Every historian agrees that Paul's letter that we just read from was written between 5 and 15 years 
after the death of Jesus. It was relatively close. It wasn't written much later and revised for some kind of doctrine. Peter, or Paul says in front of 500 people, Christ appeared after the resurrection. Most of these people, Paul says, were still alive and could be consulted for corroboration. Paul's letter was written to the church to be read aloud. So, so this letter was going to be written, read in all kinds of locations all around Corinth. And so this was a public document. Paul was inviting anyone who had any doubt to go talk to the actual eyewitnesses because they were still alive. You could actually find out. They, the, the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome, right? They'd conquered all the territories. They'd built roads everywhere. It was easy to get around in this moment. And so there was a, there's, a, there's a point here where Paul is making, and he's saying, look, this really happened. This is really true. Something profound happened here that changed everything. Now, some might say, this doesn't prove anything. Doesn't prove anything that maybe his followers stole the body, right? He died and then he got put in a tomb and then maybe his followers stole the body and, and then some people say they saw him and then some other people went along just because it's a good cause, because Jesus was nice. This is more than Jesus being nice. This is, this is Jesus becoming the most powerful change agent in the history of mankind to alter the reality of his believers. C.S. Lewis, the great author and theologian, he had a name for this idea that uh, it, it's really not true. We, we need to approach this resurrection story with a certain amount of proper skepticism for 21st century people. He called it chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't want to be a snob. You know, I don't want to be a snob. All right? Here's the thing. Chronological snobbery means, here's what it means. It means we somehow believe that modern people take this, these claims of bodily re resurrection with some skepticism, a little bit of doubt, while the ancients would readily believe it because they are much more supernatural and, and attuned to the spiritual realm. They would have immediately accepted it. This is not the case. To all dominant worldviews of the time, an individual bodily resurrection was almost inconceivable. Inconceivable. <laughs> so think about it. This may explain why, the, in the face of great persecution, that Christianity began to thrive and began to spread like wildfire. Some, there has to be some reason that it spread in the face of such great persecution. And the reason was resurrection changed everything. It changed everything about what they thought, about who Jesus is and who they were. Supernatural miracles were witnessed, of course. Profound teaching was understood, but nothing matched the hope that emerged as a result of the resurrection. It was a contagious hope for which there was no remedy. It was an infectious faith for which there was no cure. In fact, the 12 apostles and many others were martyred over that first century. They gave their lives, believers who gave their very lives for this idea of resurrection. It was a revelation to their hearts, a conviction that Jesus was actually alive.
Why would they give their lives? Because the resurrection transformed the way they saw the world. It literally changed their idea of what was possible. Each of these first century believers experienced a contagious hope at the resurrection. They saw something in this miracle that changed the trajectory of their lives. And listen, listen, we're no different Resurrection has to change the, direction, the trajectory of our lives, the direction of our lives. We must be infused with hope from this resurrection in order to live out our faith in the 21st century. We, we have to believe that something has changed our reality. And I want you to get a glimpse of that today as we look at three stories in Luke 24. Luke 24, we're going to read it right now. I'm going to read from the NIV version, and we start in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? One of the best lines in the whole Bible. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for life among dead things? This is the question for all of us. Why do you look for life in all kinds of things that only produce death? He says here in verse Six, he is not here, the angel says. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. <laughs> Look at this next phrase. Then they remembered his words. Oh, oh yeah, Jesus did say that. Some of the problem for our lives in letting the resurrection work in us is we just don't remember his words. In the face of difficulty, in the face of drama, in the face of tragedy, in the face of struggle, we forget his words. He wants us to remember them today. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11, the disciples, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with whom, or with them who told this to the apostles. Verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. I don't know about any of you men, but sometimes I'm talking to my wife and she's talking to me and she's trying to convince me of something and everything she says sounds like nonsense. <laughs> oh, don't look at me like that. You're like, no, I've never had that before in my life. Never. I've, I've, that's never happened to me. These women are trying to convince. This is sometimes it's a problem with men. Men, they got a, a hard skull. The women are trying to convince them. Here's what we saw. Here's what happened. Here's, here's what, it, what, what happened to us. And they're like, this sounds like nonsense. Why does it sound like nonsense to all the men? Duh, because they're all driven by logic. Logic is the problem. They don't believe because this doesn't make sense. This, this doesn't make any sense. This is not how the world works. And so 
It seemed to them like nonsense. Verse 12 says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. What happened? The first thing I want you to see in this story is I want you to understand that resurrection life brings hope to the marginalized. It brings hope to the marginalized, those who are discounted, those who are not respected. Resurrection carries the hope that breaks through every barrier, every barrier of our lives and every cultural barrier. Jesus himself was always breaking through cultural barriers. He was breaking through cultural, historical, emotional, spiritual, and even racial barriers. He was always cutting through these things to speak the word of truth into people's lives. This is what the resurrection does. Now listen, the resurrection stories are told for a reason, the way they're told. Right? Like there's a, there's a story that's unfolding here and Jesus could have revealed himself in any way to anyone he wanted to. But he, but he reveals himself first to women. The first eyewitnesses in this story are women. I think maybe because they get it. The men, they all think it's nonsense, but the women get it. <laughs> here's, here's, here's my point. The other gospel accounts... The other gospel accounts, including John 20 that we read earlier this morning, they, they include Mary Magdalene meeting Jesus in the garden and her not recognizing him. And then suddenly he speaks her name. He says, Mary. And she realizes it's him. You have to understand that women were not respected in this culture. They had no equality with men in this culture like they do today. Their testimony wasn't even admissible in court. These women would only undermine the credibility of the story. But Jesus chooses them. There must have been enormous pressure on the early church to remove the women from the accounts of the resurrection. They could not remove them from the accounts. Why? Because the record was so widely known. So many people had seen them. So many people had heard the story because this is how it actually happened. The story of the resurrection breaks the barriers of the culture surrounding Jesus. And the message to them and to us is this. We are not marginalized by our own genetics we do not have to be marginalized by our own history, by our poverty, by our race. We are valued for who we are. We are embraced by God himself. We are not a side character in the story. Jesus comes to those who feel devalued by others. He comes to those who are pushed aside by our culture. He comes to those who are limited by opportunity or discriminated against by our society. And he says, you matter, you're important, you're loved, and anything is possible for you. That's what the message of the resurrection is. Anything is possible for you. Resurrection hope carries the DNA of infinite possibilities. Here's how Paul described it in 
Colossians 2, verse 14 and 15. I'm going to read it from the message translation. It says, when you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. But God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. <laughs> I love the way he says that. Listen, the resurrection of Christ frees us from the spiritual tyrants of our own sin, our own shame, our own foolishness, our own disgrace. The cross of Jesus doesn't just nudge aside the enemies of our soul. This verse says it crushes them and humiliates them under a new authority of resurrection, life, and power. You are no longer marginalized by your past. Your slate is clean and the claims against you are canceled. Resurrection hope is for the devalued, the disrespected, the unworthy, the unloved, the drug addict, the divorced mom, the unemployed man, the undocumented, the refugee. Resurrection changes everything about who we are and what God wants to do. All of us find our value, our worth, and our dignity in the hope of the resurrection. Let's continue the story in Luke 24, 13. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now, you got to see the story. They're walking to Emmaus from Jerusalem. It's seven miles, and they're just walking and talking about all this stuff. And Jesus joins them, but they don't recognize him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, and their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you new? <laughs> Are you a visitor? Are you only a visitor here in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? I love what Jesus says next. Look what he says. What things? <laughs> he says, what things? He asked about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped but we had hoped that he was the one. He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus took them to school. And he began to explain everything in the scripture about himself. 
So he's, lear- he's helping them understand who Jesus actually was. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. Why did Jesus do this? The bottom line is we don't really know. I just think he was messing with them. I think Jesus has personality, and I think he was just acting like he was going on. I think he might have wanted to see if they would invite him to stay. Jesus is always interested in us inviting him to stay. So, verse 29 says, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Wait a minute. I've seen this before. Something feels really familiar right here. I think I've seen this. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. What in the world? There, you could imagine, they start to recognize this I, this. I think this is the guy. He was talking about himself. Oh my gosh, this is him. This is Jesus. <laughs> and he's gone. What was Jesus doing? I think he was messing with him. That's what he does. Jesus messes with us. He's depositing a little bit of hope into their souls. He's saying, you, you got to believe something is happening you got to have faith. you got to believe that something's going on that you don't expect, you don't realize. That's what Jesus is always trying to do in our lives. He's always trying to deposit a little hope, a little faith, a little belief, a stretch, a reaching out. And that's what happens to them. And so they asked each other, verse 32, Were not our hearts burning with us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is kind of like them saying, we kind of knew. Did you know? I kind of knew. I kind of felt like something was happening. (laughs) They didn't know. (laughs) Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is an incredible story. The second thing we have to understand that resurrection life brings hope to the disillusioned. Resurrection life brings hope to the disillusioned. It cuts through the hurt, the woundedness. And I want you to see in this story that God is not an impersonal or disconnected deity. He's right there close. This is how Jesus chose. This is how God himself chose to reveal himself, not as a disconnected deity, but as a person who walks along the road with you. He reveals his relational nature and personality through what Jesus Christ has done. These two guys, they thought they'd lost it all. They were without hope. Their hope had turned to disillusionment. But consider this, the resurrection stories, they happen in this strange contrast, this strange juxtaposition where the ordinary meets the extraordinary, where the supernatural meets the natural. 
And, and Jesus joins them there. A journey, a conversation, a meal. Jesus reveals himself in the most ordinary moments. Resurrection life should break into our daily routine. It is not something that we just celebrate once a year. It has, to, it has to break into who we are as his people. Hope is revealed in these unexpected moments. And so Jesus had entered their dialogue. He had entered their dialogue. They didn't know it. Think about this. Jesus joins them on their journey and they're totally unaware of it. Could it be that that happens to you and me? Could it be that resurrection life has come to you and yet you've refused to believe it? You just don't know it? That he's there, that he's waiting for you to believe? Could it be that whatever circumstances you face, whatever issues you're dealing with in your life, that Jesus is actually already behind the scenes providing the power, the hope, the solution? the grace, the strength. Yes, this is what he does. This is who he is. These guys don't know that he's been resurrected. And so they're along talking on the road, talking about their hopes being dashed. This is how Jesus is revealed to those who don't know that he's there. Jesus may be walking right beside you in your disillusionment and you just don't realize it yet. Might Jesus be in the middle of your disappointment? You just haven't recognized him? I want you to consider this, that the disillusioned are those who once truly believed. Disillusioned are the ones who believed once and then became resistant. They became saddened. They became hurt, wounded. They got disappointed. So the question is, in your hurt, in your woundedness, in your disappointment, would you be willing to risk believing? Resurrection is here to turn your disillusionment to hope. These guys knew the, they knew the Old Testament. They'd heard the stories. They understood the, they understood the prophets in a certain way. But Jesus came and illuminated for them who the Messiah was. And Jesus actually rebukes them for being slow to believe. Slow to believe what they already knew. Now maybe you know better. Maybe you know better, but you're still discouraged. You're still disappointed. Resurrection life is here. Hope is renewed when we stop and realize that Jesus might actually be with us. With us. When we go on with our busyness and our, our pressurized lives consumed with all the things that we're doing and our, 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 own, our own desires we're trying to accomplish, we, we never stop to consider that Jesus might already be working. Here's how Jesus said it in John eleven twenty five. He says, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection life. Resurrection life is not just something we look to the end for, although that changes our reality as well. We look forward to a resurrection when we die. And that is something that changes our orientation about this life. It changes the way we think about this life. But it is resurrection here, now. 
And the one who believes in me, Jesus said, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? It's the question for you. Do you believe this? This is the question. Take the risk and believe again. Trade in your disappointment for hope. Let faith to begin to inoculate the disillusionment that wants to take your soul. Resurrection hope is for the disappointed, the discouraged, the disoriented, the hopeless, the, the disheartened, the believer who has lost their way, the realist who simply wants the truth. We all find hope when Jesus is revealed to us. Let's go back to the last story, starting in verse 36. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, now you got to get the picture here. The two guys have come back from Emmaus, and, and now they're standing with all the other disciples, and they're standing there talking about what they'd seen. They're, the words are hanging in the air, and Jesus appears. <laughs> He's totally messing with them. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be to you. Peace. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? I think they should have said, because you keep scaring us. <laughs> he says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. That's a way to say they were so disoriented. They were so like altered in their thought process. They were so amazed. They couldn't figure it out. He could see this on their faces. He could see that they were like, what, what is happening? And so he says appropriately, you got anything to eat? Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, how weird. Most awkward meal of all time. You know, he's like, do you have something to eat? And they're all standing, sitting around him and he's just there eating the fish. And they're like looking at him. Because they were trying to figure out if he was a ghost and, and if, if a person eats, it's not a ghost. It's not just a spirit. That's not what was happening here. Jesus had risen from the dead. His body was recreated. The Bible calls him the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Something profound had happened to him. And so, so you see here that number three is there's hope for the skeptic. Hope for the skeptic. Resurrection hope reorients our lives around a new miracle reality. A new miracle reality. Now look at the rest of what happened. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that, I, that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he, I love this verse, verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. You and I need to ask Jesus to open our minds 
to see what the scripture actually says. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send you what my father promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Here's the final two verses. Then when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. He could have chosen any number of ways to go away. Instead, he just rises, levitates right before them and goes up through the clouds. He was totally messing with them. He wanted to imprint something on their memory about who he was and who he said he was. Notice it all through these three stories. There is a, a phrase that keeps coming up. Then he told them what he'd already said. Then he explained to them what had already been said in the scriptures. Then he helped them remember his words. You see that this is what we're called to be as believers, to remember what he said. Verse 51 says, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up in heaven. And then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Nothing mattered anymore like it did before the resurrection. Everything was different. It was changed. Their own reality had been turned upside down. A new reality was emerging. This is what happens when Christ comes into our lives. The reality we once thought was true, our failures, our foolishness, all of our pain, all of our past, it's changed. We realize that that's, a lie, that's been a lie that we've been living. Peter's life and the lives of his friends were being reoriented to a new miracle way of looking at the world, full of life and hope. And they were asking themselves in this process, could it be true? Could this really be true? Should I believe? I don't want to be taken for a fool. I don't want to be stupid or embarrassed or to believe something so fantastical. What is this? Very often you see the disciples, they're paralyzed here. They don't, they're not sure what to believe. And it's true that skeptics are often paralyzed. Skeptics, cynics, paralyzed by their own analysis. Very often we see this even in our own culture. Thomas doubting Thomas from John 20. He didn't see Jesus on the first time he met with all the other disciples. And so he said to the disciples, I'm not believing until I put my fingers in his scars and put my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe any of it. Jesus knows that you need resurrection life to cure you of the skepticism, the cynicism, I know, I know, we live in Austin. It's kind of cool to be a skeptic. It's cool. Yeah, I don't believe any of that. The cynic is good. Listen, innocence, much more enjoyable than the guy who's always arguing. <laughs> Resurrection life comes alive to us. And I want you to see this. Resurrection hope actually energizes us to do things we've never done before. Notice what, notice what the two guys did when they left. They, they sat down with Jesus. Jesus disappears. And what does the verse say immediately after that? They get up and they go back to Jerusalem. You know what that, that was seven more miles. They'd already walked seven miles. Now it's 14 miles round trip. Somehow they were energized by what they had believed and what God was doing. And 
This happened to all the disciples. Peter, his life was changed, transformed. He preaches the message of his life. 3,000 people come to believe in Jesus in Acts chapter 2, just a few weeks after denying Christ. Wow. When hope becomes contagious, we are given new life and energy to influence the world we're living in like never before. Resurrection hope turns the doubting skeptic into the most daring servant. Here's how Paul says it in Romans 8, 12. He says, so don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children, and we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. That's what happened to the first century believers. They were marked by the resurrection, by the hope and life of Jesus, and it gave them incredible strength and purpose. Listen, make no mistake, resurrection hope is for the skeptic, the cynic, the pessimist, the questioner, the, the seeker, the curious, the secretly hopeful. The secretly hopeful. We all find courage to hope in the resurrection. I wonder if today you'd be willing to come out of the shadows of your own doubt and come into the light of the hope of the resurrection. I want, you to, I want you to begin to open your heart. Have you been marginalized or misunderstood? Have you failed so horribly that it keeps you up at night? Or maybe you've been hurt by a, a parent or a teacher, a pastor, maybe even by this very church. Something has wounded you. You believe in Jesus, but there's still this thing, this unresolved unforgiveness. Would you be willing to let go of some of that today? Would you be willing to exchange all that for hope? Don't settle for an ordinary life of cynicism and skepticism. Don't let that rule your heart. Let hope come in instead. Let it become contagious and let the extraordinary miracle of resurrection life change you. Now listen, there's two reasons why people have a hard time coming to God. The first one, the first reason is, is there's something wrong with me. The second reason is there's something wrong with you. The first reason is about feeling so gross so devalued that you feel like you've failed so miserably you're unworthy can I tell you that's the furthest thing from the truth you have value in God's eyes you, you are loved by him and you matter nothing you've done can keep you from his resurrection life if you'll just open your heart the second reason people have trouble coming to God is because they look at other people and they say I don't want to be like that guy I don't want to be obnoxious like that person I don't want to say that it's I don't I don't want to say the things that person says and sometimes the loudest among us are not the best representatives of Christianity don't let that get in your way today don't blame God for what some people do Come to this table we're about to go to.
we're coming to the Lord's table here at the end of our time. And I want you to, I want you to consider just being willing to open your heart and let resurrection life come in in a different way. Whether you feel like you've just been marginalized and discounted or disrespected, whether you feel like you're disillusioned because you've been hurt or wounded or because you're just a skeptic, it's just hard to believe. Jesus understands. He knows. I'm going to give you a reading now, and I want you to settle right where you are. I'm going to end our time together before we go to the table. And it's a descriptive reading. I want, I want you to open your, your life imagine imagine let your heart imagine a man when I say imagine I, I mean let your thoughts picture this story that people are hearing for the first time imagine a man who knows the universe with the intimacy of its creator but bleeds like a human being place he has come to is a province of the empire that controls practically the whole known world. The priests tell him, obey the rules, but he says that the rules are for the people, not the people for the rules. When the crowd gathers, he says, God doesn't want your careful virtue. He wants your reckless generosity. He annoys people when he talks like this because the implication of his perfection is that everybody is guilty and nobody gets to congratulate themselves. People bristle. The news about him gets around and in their holiest week, in the dark, on the open ground at the edge of the city where he's camped out, a patrol of temple guards find him and arrest him. You're a blasphemer, Sabbath breaker, enemy of the law, they say. Daylight finds him in a procession again, but this time no one could mistake him for a king. He's stumbling along under the weight of his own instrument of execution. They hang him on a wooden cross. The doors of his heart are wedged open wide. Let me take that from you, he is saying. Give that to me instead. Let me carry it. I am big enough. I am strong enough. My arms are wide enough. I am not who you were told. I am not your king or your judge. I am the father who longs for every last one of his children. I am the friend who will never leave you. I am the light behind the darkness. I am the shining your shame cannot extinguish. I am gift without cost. He is all open door. Open door to sorrow, suffering, guilt, despair, horror. And when it is over, he simply proclaims, it is finished all day long the next day the city is quiet the sun makes its way toward the western horizon no slower or faster 
than it usually does. But early on Sunday morning, early on Sunday morning, one of the friends comes to his tomb with rags and a jug of water and a box of the grave spices that are supposed to cut down on the smell, and she braces for the task. But when she comes to the grave, she finds that the linen's been thrown into the corner and the body is gone. She sits outside in the sun. She is crushed and heartbroken and takes no notice of the feet that appear at the edge of her vision. Why do you look for the living among the dead, the voice says. He is not here. He is risen. Yeshua says to share the story. His followers obey. You are not lost, they say. There is hope and salvation for all, they proclaim. The message spreads like a spark in a dry forest like dandelion seeds on a windy day and for 2,000 years the hope cannot be contained we continue to take the body and blood as a reminder for us that when death seems near Jesus brings life as we come to this table together I want you to remember who he was and what he did and realize that you can bring any fear, any sin, any pain to this table and leave it with him. He will replace it with hope. The hope for all of us on this day. The hope that is contagious.